Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Let's read 1 Chronicles 29. Gifts for building the temple. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one who God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources I've provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities." Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold or ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We're foreigners and strangers in your sight, as, we, as were our, all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you will test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, 
praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and King. Please welcome Luke. Well, thank you, Lockie. Thanks to Lockie and Ray and to Craig for highlighting my haircut. I hope it would go unnoticed. But now that you've seen it, I am embracing change. And I hate to disappoint you, Craig, but I think with the beard that's left, you're still the one elder with the least amount of hair. Although some of us are giving you a run for your money. This morning, I thought I'd start by taking a leaf out of Dave Young's playbook. And so I thought I'd start today with a joke. Ready for a joke this morning? How many Baptists does it take to implement a change? Change? (laughs) Baptist churches over the years have been notorious for being resistant to change. The good news is that we're not a church like that here at Follow. We are grateful for what God has done. We're excited about what he's doing and we're expectant about what he's going to do in the future. And in order to step into that future, uh, we want to be a group of people who embrace change for growth. Change for growth. That is why the theme of Vision Month this year is change and the series is called Change for Growth. And if you've missed the first two weeks, I'd love to just give you a brief recap on what we've covered so far. In week one, we looked at personal change. And we talked about why is personal change important? Well, personal change is important because change is discipleship. And discipleship is what each of us are called to. And so we want to be consistently changing as the Holy Spirit convicts us and changes us from the inside inside out so that we become more like Jesus. And so the journey of discipleship is a journey of change. And so we embrace personal change because that's what discipleship is. In week two, we talked about process change, which doesn't sound quite as exciting, does it? To talk about personal change is kind of exciting. To talk about process change doesn't ring the same sort of bell. But we talked about last week why process change is important. And so why is process change important? Well, it's important because our willingness to embrace process change will directly correlate with our ability to care, develop leaders, reach a community, and grow as a church. Today is week three and we're looking at place change. Why is that important? Well, we're running out of chairs. There's many other reasons, but that's one reason why it's important. We're going to get to some of the other reasons today. The title of the message is The Why, the How, and the What of a New Place. The Why, the How, and the What of a New Place. The first two come directly from today's text and we'll finish with with some practical thoughts on what to expect when we move into a new place. And so if we go up to the screen, we're going to start with the why. If you were here for Vision Month in 2018, you'll remember I talked about Simon Sinek's TED Talk, where he talks about start with the why. On the screen, you'll see what he calls the golden circle. And you'll see three concentric circles. They have three words in them, the what, the how, and the why. And the point he's trying to make is the why is the most important part, but it's often the part that we don't know. Why do we do what we do? And so he talks about the what on the outside. And the what is uh, something that every organisation on the planet understands. They know what they do. They know what they do. These are the products they sell or the services they provide. But as you come in the circle, less and less people know how they do it. And so some organisations know how they do it. These are the things that make them special or set them apart from their competition. But the point is that most organisations don't actually know why they do it. Why is not about making money. That's the result. Why is a purpose, cause, or belief? It's the very reason that your organisation 
exists. It's so important that we know the why. People don't buy into what you do. They don't get inspired by how you do it, but they'll give their lives to the why you do it. And so what you do, how you do it, really demonstrate what you believe and therefore why you give your life to it. That is why what we do and how we do it must always be driven by why we do it. That's why vision is so important. I hope by now that the vast majority of you know the why of follow. Our vision is our why. And just in case you forget it, we put it up on the wall. Our vision is Jesus. And in fairness, it wasn't that hard to start with. It wasn't a 10-page document or lots of fancy statements. Our vision is Jesus. He is the why. And to the people who tried to convince me prior to follow launching that you can't just have Jesus as your vision, I would challenge them and say, what better vision could we possibly have? Why have we gathered today? Because we want to worship Jesus. Because we believe he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the name above every other name, that he is worthy of our praise, he is worthy of getting out of bed for, he's worthy of foregoing the beach for, to gather and to worship him. Jesus is the why of our gathering this morning. Why do we gather and go into our local community on mission? Well, because we believe that we live in a world where people desperately need Jesus. And so we want to take every opportunity to tell everybody about who Jesus is and what he can do in their lives. We want to be his hands and feet into a broken world. Jesus is the why we reach into our community. You can, you can clap if you want. Jesus is worth clapping for. He's worth worshipping. He's worth serving. Why do we gather in MCG small groups every week? Well, because we know it's so important that we gather together and express the love of Christ with one another. We know that people will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. It's hard to love one another if we don't spend any time with one another. And so we gather together because it's important to pray and to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We want to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. Jesus is the why. At follow, Jesus is our vision. He is the why we do everything we do. And so we want to follow him. We want to follow him in our community, both in this community and our wider community. And we want to do it all for his glory. And so we need to always start with the why. And when it came to the building of the temple in 1 Chronicles 29, I love that David started with the why. And so he gathered all the people together in one big place. And he wants to remind the people of why they are doing what they're doing. This is vision casting 101. There's a big task ahead of them as God's people. Everyone's going to need to be involved. And for that to occur, they need to know why it's important. And in the very first verse of this chapter, we see the why. Then King David said to the assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great. Because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord. It's not for man, it's for the Lord. Right there, clearly articulated, is the why of what they were doing. Why are they going to build a temple? Is it to make them comfortable? Is it to make a name for themselves or for Solomon? Is it to be a place where the pack-up team wouldn't have to set up and pack up? Well, that's a good reason. Is it to fulfill some sort of need to look successful? Is it to be better than the church down the road? 
No, at the start of the project, we have a great leader outlining from the very beginning the why. It's not for man, it's for the Lord God. Now, it's really interesting to note the word great in this passage, isn't it? Verse 1, I think it's easy, it's good to note it because I think it could have a double meaning. In fact, I think the Hebrew actually confirms that. The word great means an exceedingly great, important and noble thing. But it can also be translated as high, long, mighty and great. David says to the people, the task is great. And from the first scan that I had this week, I simply thought that he was studying the obvious. This is a big project. They're going to build this temple for the Lord, and so it's a big task. It's going to take lots of experience, talent, skill, finance, and generosity. Everyone's going to need to be involved. It's a great task to build the palatial structure for the Lord. And so at first glance, I thought that's simply what he was saying. But then I reread the sentence, and this is how it reads. It says, the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. And so I started to think that maybe it's not just that the task is great. It's that the task is great. It's not just a great task. It's a great task because we're doing it for the Lord. I think it's important for us to remember that as we consider a place change at follow. Roy's presentation today had elements of it that were really exciting. Lots of visuals and a glimpse of the future for follow. But he also talked about what it's going to cost. And it's clear that there's a great task ahead of us. It's going to take God's supernatural provision. It's going to require sacrificial giving from many people. It's going to require as many people as possible to contribute as much as they possibly can with their time and their talents and their treasure. To see it completed will be a testimony of God's miraculous greatness. It's a great task, but it's a great task because we're doing it for the Lord God. It's got to be very clear from the start that the building is not our vision. Because Jesus is. Jesus is the vision. And so we cannot afford to shift our focus from Jesus while we build a building. Jesus just becomes part of the periphery blur if we do that. And so we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the vision of our church. He's the why we do everything we do. The building is not our vision, but we do have a vision for the building. The building is not our vision. But we do have a vision for the building. This future building is a tool in the toolbox that will facilitate our vision to lift Jesus high in this region for years to come. The building is not the promised land. The setup team may disagree. They're saying, yes, it is. Bring it on yesterday. But the building is not the promised land. We're not going to get there and go, oh, let's just sit back and enjoy the milk and honey. That is just the start of a whole new adventure and new opportunities. It is not the promised land of our church. The building will be a stake in the ground. It will be a stake in the ground to declare powerfully to our community that God has called us here and we are serious about seeing Jesus transform this region. It will declare that we are here to stay, that we want Jesus' name to be lifted high over the officer region and beyond. This building will be an epicenter for mission. What happens in the building will reverberate from there out into our local community as the gospel is preached, as people are reached. And not only will it reverberate into our community, but we believe that it will reverberate right throughout eternity for God's glory. It will be an epicenter of mission. I wonder this morning out of interest, who first made a commitment to follow Jesus in some sort of church building? What about, keep your hands up. If you have been discipled in a church building, if you have grown in your faith 
through a church building. If you have met other godly people that you can journey with through a church building. Okay, you can put your hands down. It's amazing what God can do in a place. You see, I, I really encourage to look around and see so many people who first made a commitment to Jesus in a building, maybe at an altar call or through a message you heard or the Holy Spirit was prompting you at a, on a particular day in a church building. And here's the exciting thing. Right now, there are people in our local community who haven't accepted Jesus. In fact, they are far from God. They are not even giving God a second thought. But if I ask that same question again in 20 years, I believe there will be many people, hopefully hundreds of people, who will lift their hands and say, yes, I first accepted Christ in a building. And the building they will be referring to will be the one standing at 30 Tivendale Road, Officer, the home of Follow Baptist Church. People in the future will say, what happened in that building changed my life. The power of God impacted me in a way that I knew for the first time that I needed a saviour. I needed Jesus to be the king of my life. And I think that's an awesome thought. You see, a building won't change anyone. But what happens inside them can, does, and will. This is why our fundraising team came up with the acronym BRICS for our building pledge. Building relationships in Christ's kingdom. I'm not sure what the S is for. That's what it stands for. Building relationship in Christ's kingdom. We believe that venue will be an epicenter of relationship for Christ's kingdom, where people will come to know him and grow deeper in him for decades to come. The church has a vision for this building, but what about you? Do you have a personal vision? Do you have a dream for what God could do in a place like this? Is there a loved one? that you've been praying for to know Jesus, and you can visualize them responding to the Lord during a worship service? Are there a particular group of people you pray that we can reach through a new facility? Maybe it's single mums. Maybe it's young families. Maybe it's the elderly. Maybe it's those in need. Can you see us cooking meals for our food van in the kitchen? Can you see us hosting our community lunch at Christmas time for those in need? Maybe for you it's local schools. Can you see mentoring happening of students in our local area? Can you see after-school programs happening where we connect with kids and families? Is your passion for young people? Is it for business leaders? Is it connecting with locals in our community who you can serve and get to know by sharing a coffee with them in the cafe? You see, we have a corporate vision, but I want to challenge you this morning to have a personal vision because if it's not personal, it won't be powerful. If it's not personal, it won't be powerful. A building won't change anyone, but what happens inside it can, does, and will. And so we need to know why it's important. That's why we start with the why. Why are we hoping to establish a new home? Well, it's for the same reason that David wanted to build a temple, because our vision is Jesus, and everything we do is not for man, but for the Lord God. And so we started with the why. But let's now move outwards in the circle to the next one, which is the how. How is this going to happen? Well, it's going to happen by the supernatural provision of God through the generosity of his people. How's it going to happen? It's going to happen by the supernatural provision of God through the generosity of his people. Rod Irvine, in his book, Giving Generously, says the following quote. He says, For the follower of Jesus, generosity is not a burden that is laid on an unwilling follower. The attitude can never be, I'm a Christian now, and while it's a pain, I find I must be generous. 
Generosity is not something to be adopted through gritted teeth. Generosity is a virtue to be pursued joyously. In the building of the temple, we saw extravagant, joyful generosity from God's people, and it came from three distinct places. First of all, it came from the leader. Second of all, it came from the leadership. And thirdly, it came from the congregation or the people. And so first of all, it came from the leader, who in this particular story was King David. If we look at verse 2 of the passage, David says, With all of my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Verse 3, besides this, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. You know, one of the great leadership truths is that you can't lead people where you're unwilling to go yourself. You can't lead people where you're unwilling to go yourself. Jesus never asked his disciples to do anything that he didn't first model or wasn't willing to commit himself to doing. That's what a leader does. They lead. David committed all the resources he could through his kingship, but he didn't stop there. He also gave of his personal treasures because of his devotion to God and his passion to build a temple that would bring glory to his name. Look at verse 17. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. As the lead pastor at Follow Baptist Church, I don't want to encourage you to go anywhere that I'm not willing to first go myself, where Kim and I aren't willing to journey ourselves. As a couple, I've never shared this before, but we tithe 10% of our giving every week to the church. We give over and above that generously wherever we can. And when last time the BRICS Pledge was launched, we committed to giving an amount that we knew would stretch us and cause us to rely on God in greater ways. We don't ever want to just give from excess. And I'll tell you the main reason for that, we never have any. But we don't want to just give from excess. We want to be people who give from a place of sacrifice. As King David says in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not offer to the Lord, my God, sacrifices that have cost me nothing. For us, as we pledged, it was a, a big amount. It's different to your amount. I don't need to tell you what our amount was because that's between us and God. Just as I don't know the amount that anyone in this church pledges or gives on a regular basis because I don't want to be tempted to show favoritism or be accused of it based on what people give. So what you give is between you and God. I know the total amount that people give on a weekend and in a pledge, but I don't know what any individual gives in this church, and that's the way that I want it to be. And so what did it mean for us, for Kim and I, when we pledged? Well, it meant that we sat down with our family and we actually made a, cons you know, a conscious decision that over the next few years, we won't be taking any family holidays interstate or overseas because we believed enough that we wanted to sow into this particular thing. We made a decision we weren't going to make any big purchases. There'll be no new cars, no new gadgets, all that sort of stuff. We made a decision that we're going to make daily sacrifices, and that has been our journey for the last couple of years. 
And that's been our journey. If you give to the BRICS pledge, it'll be between you and God, and you will go on your own journey. But like everyone else, Kim and I will once again be prayerfully considering what we can sacrificially give to the next stage of pledging. What I can tell you over the last couple of years is that God, as he has been for the rest of our lives, has been absolutely faithful. We've not had to skip a meal. We've not had to sell our house. God has provided, sometimes in supernatural ways, throughout that time. In the building of the temple, the giving started with David as a leader, and as your pastors, we are committed to joining you in sacrificially giving for a new church facility. David, in this passage, outlines what he's giving, and then he asks the question in verse 5, now who is willing? Who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? You'll notice in the passage that the immediate response comes from the leadership. They are the second people that gave. Verse 6, Then the leaders of the family, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Now, let me just take a detour for a moment. Isn't it good to see Jethro's leadership pathway still working hundreds of years later? If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the message from last week. Hundreds of years before, put this pathway in place, it's still happening. And so the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. This is a word we're going to come back to. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoice, here it is again, at the willing response of their leaders. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And so we see in this passage, following the example of David, the rest of the leadership gave freely, generously, and willingly. Leader, leaders, finally it went to the people. In verse 14, David says, But who am I? And who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. And now I have seen with joy how willingly, again, your people who are here have given to you. Now, what I want you to notice in this story is that everyone was involved. Everyone was involved. It's easy to hear a challenge like the one that David gave towards a great task, or even the one we're talking about with a building, and think to yourself, well, someone else will do it. There's people that have got more than me, and so they will do it. Well, this wasn't the case with God's people when it came to the building of the temple. Everyone was involved in this great task, this great task, and I would suggest it's going to take the vast majority of us to be involved with the follow building as well. Now, there's no doubt that some had greater capacity to give more, and some had lesser capacity, and they gave less. And so when it comes to the BRICS pledge, it may be that some of you, it's a sacrifice just to give $5 a week over your regular giving. You say, I'm going to give $5 a week. I'm going to sacrifice that coffee on on a Tuesday morning. I'm going to give up that coffee, and I'm going to put that money into the BRICS pledge every week. I'm going to just give that $5 a week. And for you, that may be a great sacrifice. For others, it may be $50 a week. For some, it may be $100 a week. For some, it may be $1,000 a week. You see, it's never about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And it's about giving willingly and joyfully what God lays on our heart. And so I want to encourage you as a congregation of God's people who are committed to seeing the impact of Jesus reverberate throughout this community, I want to encourage you and challenge you to be prayerful about this, 
to actually bring this before the Lord, to listen to his voice and then be obedient and sacrificial when you give. But whatever you give, do it willingly and joyfully. This is what the Apostle Paul taught those at Corinth hundreds of years later. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous now and then on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? In thanksgiving to God. In the building of the temple, everyone took the opportunity to be involved. You know, it's always hard as a pastor to talk about giving. And if I'm honest, I don't particularly enjoy it. don't particularly enjoy talking about giving. But I tell you what encourages me and helps me to overcome my hesitation and talk about it anyway. The thing that does that is that I look at Jesus. I get encouragement from Jesus who reminds me that the way we use our money is actually directly linked with discipleship. And so if I'm going to truly care about the discipleship of people entrusted into my care by God, then giving is never something I should avoid because Jesus did it. He tells us clearly, don't store up treasures on earth where rust and moths destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. He says that you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in Jesus' challenging encounter with the rich young ruler who tragically concluded and decided to serve his money rather than to follow Jesus. You see, in Jesus' teaching, money and generous giving make frequent appearance because I think Jesus knew if there was one thing that's going to take your attention from Jesus, one thing that's going to shift your focus, it's your money, it's your wealth, it's your stuff. It has a direct attachment so often to our hearts, and that's why it's so difficult at times to be generous. You see, raising resources is never about fundraising. It's actually about faith raising. It's do we actually trust God that if we're generous, that our God is still able to provide for our needs. You can't serve both God and money, and so giving, whether it's your time, talents, or treasure, is always going to be a key part of discipleship. The great Martin Luther once said that a believer goes through three conversions. His head, the heart, and finally the wallet. The head, the heart, and finally the wallet. I think for many people that's true. In fact, I think there are many Christians who progress through stage one and stage two, got it in the head, got it in the heart, but never progress to putting their hand back and getting out the wallet. And it shows that we, we lack trust in a God who says that he will promise to provide for us. Maybe this is part of your growth, part of your change for growth in 2019, that you've grown in other areas of your life, but this is an area you've never been able to let go of. You've never been able to fully trust God in, and maybe today God's challenging you that this year you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus in the area of radical, sacrificial, and faith-filled generosity. 
You know, it's not easy to be generous for many people. And the truth is that generosity will only ever flow in our lives when we get a revelation of where everything we have came from in the first place. You see, David clearly understood where his wealth came from. I've heard many people over the years say, no, no, I'm a self-made man or woman. I made my own wealth. And my response to that would be, well, who gave you the ability to do that? Oh, well, I made wise investments. Well, who gave you the wisdom to invest wisely? Oh, yeah, but I've worked hard. Well, who gave you the physical health, the mental capacity, the country you live in, the opportunities you've had, the breath in your lungs? Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. James chapter 1, verse 17. This is a truth that King David fully understood. You pick it up in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Listen to this part. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have willingly given and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people. How long for? Forever. And keep their hearts loyal to you. Church, we have a great task ahead of us. And to be honest, it would be a lot easier if four people just said, I have a million dollars, and they put it in the offering plate today. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? We could start building as soon as we get the application from the council. But the thing is this, that if that was to happen, it may stop us from seeking God ourselves, from actually hearing his voice, from being obedient, from making sacrifices, from growing in trust, from seeing the supernatural by putting our hope in Jehovah Jireh, our provider. This is a great opportunity for us to grow as disciples of Jesus because the way we use our money is directly linked to discipleship. If you are thinking of giving a million dollars, please don't let me discourage you. (laughs) Because that's part of your discipleship journey. In fact, I sense the Lord saying two million. It's a prophetic word for some people here today or listening on the podcast. But whatever you give, do it willingly and joyfully. If you don't give joyfully and willingly, you're better off not giving. And that doesn't mean that I'm encouraging you not to give generously. I'm actually challenging you to do it, but to do it willingly and joyfully. And so why? We've talked about the why. We've talked about the what. Let me, the how. Let me just finish with the what. What should we expect when we move into a new building? 
Well, there's three things I want to just briefly touch on. The first one is great opportunity. So we move into a building. We've covered this probably already. But there is an abundance of new opportunities will open up for us in a new facility. For a start, we won't have to shift every time there's an election or something else going on in this building. We'll be able to use it all the time. There will be great opportunities for community engagement and connection to care for those in need. There will be opportunity for midweek meetings to train and equip God's people. We'll be able to run our identity course at the new facility. We'll have opportunities for hospitality. The BUV is looking in the future for resource churches that will take on young people or, or anyone who's got a heart for church planning and mission, and they're looking for resource churches to take those people on, to train them, develop them, and then send them out into the mission field. There's an opportunity for us to be part of that. There will be possibilities that are absolutely endless. And so when we move into a new facility, we can expect that there will be new opportunities. The second thing that we can expect is that there will be an opportunity for growth. Now, many people think that a new facility is just like a silver bullet to growth. You know the old Field of Dreams movie? Build it and they will come. But let me tell you something, unhealthy doesn't grow anywhere. You can be an unhealthy church and you can move into the Taj Mahal and you still won't grow. But if you're a healthy church, it's almost universally true that when you move into a new facility, you grow. And so we can expect that God's going to keep growing us as a church. And one of the big goals of 2019 is that we continue to become healthier in everything that we do. A new facility will give us increased capacity for growth, more seating capacity, the opportunity for multiple services in time to accommodate those that we reach and those who join this community. And so we can expect opportunity. We can expect growth. And finally today we can expect, guess what, more change. Yes, we love change. We embrace change. In Kerry Newhoff's latest blog post, he titled it, Five Startling Reasons That People Leave Your Church. That pricked up my attention. Uh, the first one is that you cast too big a vision. I think visions are exciting for a lot of people. For other people, it's just daunting. It's like, well, you've got your head in the clouds, and I'm like, well, where else would you want to have it? We have a God that can do incredibly big things, and so we should have a big vision, trusting that God can do even more than we can ever hope, dream, or imagine, according to his power at work within us. And so I think we should never insult God with small thinking. We should be people who think big, because we have a big God. And so opportunity was the first one, and it's one reason why people leave a church. The next three are all directly correlated with growth. The second one is simply this, you grew, so some people will leave. The third one was... You're more healthy. Some people will leave. The fourth one was that you're reaching new people. So some people will leave. But the fifth one was that you finally moved into that new facility. It's a reason why some people leave a church. And I want to prep us as we prepare to move to a new place. And I want to just let us know from now, it's going to be different. It's going to be change. It'll look different. It'll sound different. It'll smell different. It'll feel different. It'll function different. It'll be bigger. And so it's good to start emotionally and mentally preparing for that, ready to embrace that change. You know, our family, since we've been married, has moved several times to different houses. Sometimes we've moved to a better house. Sometimes we've moved to a worse house. But I'll tell you one thing that's never happened every time we've made those moves We've never had a kid say, hey, I'm leaving because I don't like the new house. And I'll tell you why. Because we're family. Because we're family. There will be a time where we move to a new place. It will be different. But the spiritually mature have the ability to adapt for family. 
2019 could be the year of a place change. Why is that important? Because our vision is Jesus and everything we do is not for man but for the Lord God. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen by the supernatural provision of God through the generosity of his people. What can we expect? We can expect opportunity. We can expect growth. And we can expect change. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless. God bless.